Uh, hi everyone. We'll just wait a couple of minutes for people to join. Uh, I can see that Michael is in the space. Just can you um, request to be a speaker? I sent you a new web. I'm not sure if you saw that. Okay, cool. I think Michael is in the space now. Uh, hi, Michael. Yeah, hi. I don't know hi. how is my audio like. Sorry? I was asking how my audio is like. Yeah, your audio is fine. Sounds good. Um, oh, okay. so yeah, thank you for, you know, agreeing to do this. And yeah, thanks everyone for joining. Um, I hope you know, we have some fun today and learn some new stuff. So, uh, so Michael is um, a software engineer. Um, he's done some work with MariaDB. So they're an open source fork of MySQL. Um, he's also done some work with Thanos, which is like a Prometheus setup with storage capabilities. And he's built some, you know, um, personal projects like some key value stores in, in his free time. Um, so today we're going to talk about histograms um, and table statistics. Um, these are topics that, so sorry, these are, these are concepts that the database, your database management systems used to, you know, perform queries. And I didn't know about them until like very recently from Michael, actually. Um, and I thought it'd be fun to, you know, bring it here and, you know, speak about it more, like, more openly for everyone to, you know, kind of hear. Because I thought it was, it was useful. So, yeah, I'll let Michael talk about it. He'll take us through, like, what a histogram is, what statistics are, how they influence queries, and how we can maybe apply it practically in our day-to-day -day jobs as engineers, for those who are engineers on the call. Um, so yeah, Michael, you have the you have the floor. Okay, cool. Um, thanks, Ayo, for the for the intro. Um, so really, um, okay. So straight to the point, right? Because I, I already did the introduction. Um, usually, when you run your queries, like you run SQL queries between the points where 
you send in the SQL query and the points where the database returns your results, a lot of things happen, right? So there is like parsing the queries, tokenization and all of that. But um, one very important part of the process, like one very important step is called query optimization. And the query optimization is done by what is called the query optimizer. Now, what query optimization is basically is that um, it's about finding the most efficient way to execute a query. So you are going to, when you run a select, you are probably touching multiple tables, for instance, right? Maybe you have a join and you're selecting from table A and table B. Um, the database needs to decide what order it's going to run this query. And that is handled by, by that is handled in the optimization step. So the query optimizer, um, it's kind of dumb. So for it to actually be smart, it needs some kind of data. And that data moves us to what we call statistics. So statistics is more about um, making the database understand what kind of data you have, and then allow it to make um, sensible decisions around um, executing your query, right? And then to understand well, statistics, there's also another component called histograms, which deals specifically with um, the data distribution. So all of this together is what we are going to be talking about like in greater detail. And we are going to be talking about like how they're important and how they actually influence your queries. So um, yeah, starting with the query optimizer, right? It's something that actually exists in like most databases currently. I, I think most, at least most regional databases, Mongo also has them. So it's something you'd find like almost everywhere. And its job, like its sole job is to look at the query and then determine, okay, which of these, in, in what way am I going to execute this query such that I touch the least amount of tables um, in what am I going to execute a query such that I make the least amount of IO calls, the least amount of, um, I, I use the least amount of memory. So these are like the decisions that the query optimizer looks at. These are like the factors it looks at before it considers a query efficient. Because when, when given a query, it's possible that they, it's normal for it to have like 10, 20, 100 um, different ways in order to execute just that specific query. And what the query optimizer is going to do is it's going to allocate cost to each of these parts. So those costs now comes from, well, the resource usage, right? And then it now picks the one with the least amount of costs. Um, different databases actually has like different ways of, um, well, get, get, getting this data. But before we go into that, like I said, the query optimizer is dumb. So by default, it makes some assumptions. And one of the assumptions is that it assumes that your data is distributed uniformly. What that means is that when, when you have a table, for instance, you have um, a product table with prices, right? It's going to assume that the same number of products with price equal to 10 Naira is the same number of products with price equal to 20 Naira, that kind of thing, which, well, in, in reality, it doesn't really make sense, but because it's making that wrong assumption. It happens that it's going to make bad decisions about your queries. So the way to help it now is that you provide statistics. You give it information about how your data is distributed because really no, no two databases are the same, right? You, you could have like maybe a, an actual uniform distribution. You could have like a normal distribution, that kind of thing. So you kind of tell the optimizer that, okay, this is how my data is. And then the optimizer is now able to, you know, glean from the statistics that, okay, in this table and for this column, what are the minimum and maximum values, for instance, um, what is the ratio of null values um, to actual values? And it's able to decide, okay, um, for instance, it's able to ask the statistics that how many products has prices greater than 100, for instance. So these are the kind of data that the statistics provide. Um, like I said, the statistics are going to be provided in different ways. So for Postgres, for instance, um, Postgres has just one storage engine. So 
for Postgres, the way the statistics is provided is that um, the storage engine feeds the data into the query optimizer directly. So there is no like in between there. But for MySQL, the case is different. Um, MySQL supports like pluggable storage. So if you work MySQL, you've probably heard about like InnoDB and MyISAM and RocksDB, you know, like all of these storage engines. So each storage engine actually provides um, these statistics in a different way. And MariaDB is a fork of MySQL. And by the way, this whole thing is actually going to be a bit heavy on MariaDB because it's kind of what I'm more familiar with for now. But yeah, so MariaDB is a fork of MySQL. And then at, at, at the start, like, Initially, it was doing the same thing as my SQL, you know, asking the storage engine for statistics. But then it happened that um, there were some, how do I call it? There were some disadvantages to that. Um, one of those disadvantages is that each storage engine actually computes its statistics differently. Now, here's why that happens. So they are supposed to allocate cost to each query, right? But there is no standard that says, okay, um, if a query is taking um, 200 megabytes of RAM, then this is the cost you are going to give to it. Because this cost doesn't just depend on one resource. It doesn't just depend on RAM. It has to consider RAM. It has to consider CPU usage. It has to consider disk accesses. So there is no like standard unit to bring all of these resources together, right? And that means that some storage engines that are um, optimized for writes, for instance, so if you take like levels DB, for instance, it's going to allocate a different set of costs to queries than say rocks DB or you know, DB. So those are like the disadvantages of having the storage engine responsible for that. So MariaDB came up with this thing called um, EITS, which is short for Engine Independent Statistics. Um, and really what it does is that it provides like an abstraction over your storage engines so that it has like, there's like a uniform interface for, you know, getting the statistical data from the storage engine. Um, now that I mentioned cost, there are actually like um, two approaches to weighing queries. So there's cost, there's also rules, um, like there's like rule-based optimizers. So rule-based optimizer is kind of like a research thing. So it's not something that's, um, that's really, really, really used. So most of the time they just end up, most of most databases just end up using um, cost-based optimizers. Now, this is the part where like, um, for statistics particularly, right? We mentioned that there's like a specific um, subset of statistics called histograms which is concerned with data distribution. Um, now, it, it's important because it is this data distribution that actually does the whole work of, um, of making your queries fast, really. Because histograms, they work with indexes and without indexes. Because if you're working with databases and you know, your database is slow, you know, you're having performance issues, one of the first things you're going to like, think of doing is around indexes, you probably want to um, create index on this column, create, um, yeah, like just throw indexes at your database, right? But indexes come at a cost, if you don't know. So what happens is with indexes, you are sacrificing um, write performance for read performance. What that means is when you have an index on a column, right, it's going to make your read faster. So when you select, it's going to be faster, like most of the time. But then when you're trying to insert or you're trying to update or delete, those indexes have to be recreated, they have to be rebuilt so that they stay up to date, right? And that comes at a cost because now it's like, and why that happens is indexes actually start like as B trees, like balance trees. So there's a kind of rebalancing that needs to happen when you update your database or add new rules to it. So it comes at a cost basically. There are also like some other, I don't say drawbacks because with histograms and indexes, it's not really like, um, it's not an either or situation. It's not like a direct comprising kind of thing. It's more like trade-offs. So for you to understand those trade-offs, you need to understand what you're sacrificing when you use indexes. 
And one other thing is that for index, with indexes, for instance, um, when you use an SQL function, right, it, do, it, it ignores your index. So let's say you're trying to select um, sum or average, for instance, the database is going to completely ignore your indexes. And, and why that happens is because when you run a function, the database is not going to guarantee that the results of that function is going to be useful as an index. Take for instance, let's say you have a names table and then you are trying to get length of names, right? You are doing string length, string length on, the, on your names column, sorry. Now, string length is going to return a number, but your names column was a variable character, that's a string, right? So you have an index on strings, but the data you are requesting for is a number. So your index basically fails. The database cannot guarantee that the number you are getting as results is going to is going to work with the index you created on string. So it doesn't. It's kind of lazy about that. It doesn't do anything with indexes at all. And you no know, cases like this come up. So the option here is that instead of using indexes, where you are forced to like think through your queries, you just help the optimizer understand how data is distributed. Um, how how data is distributed in your database. And that data distribution, like we said, is histograms. So histograms are not like something new. They came from, you know, math, where you have bar charts that depict frequency, that depict like how frequent um, a value occurs. And that means that the same kind of histogram, you know, with the short and tall bar charts also exist in databases, right? But then for databases, there are actually like two kinds of histograms. Um, there's the equi-width, that's equal width histograms and then the equal height histograms. The equi-width is what you find in, um, what do you call it? It's what you find in regular math textbooks, actually. So you have like boundary points. You have maybe you have like 10 to 20, 20 to 30, 30 to 40, that kind of thing. And then in between 10 and 20 is what you call a pocket. So, for it, for database, I, I don't know math, so um, I'm not going to explain like mathematical histograms, but for databases, what is going to determine the height of each chart, like each bar chart in the histogram is the number of rows in your database that actually matches that value. So let's say, let, let's go back to the um, example of product table, right? You have products and you have prices. Now, if your price, if if you create a histogram with like maybe ten to hundred, sorry zero to hundred, and then hundred to two hundred, what you are doing is every row or every product whose price is between zero and hundred, you are going to put it in the zero to hundred bucket. So the height of that bucket, the height of that chart, is going to be determined by the number of rows that has that value, right? But at the end of the day, the width is still the same. Now for equi with the, the, it's different. It's kind of like the opposite. So like a, a way to think about them is this. Let's say for, for equi height, are you saying something? Wait, sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Um, yeah, there, I, I mean, for people that kind of want to see this visually, I've added some images as pins to the space oh, okay. um, that Michael provided to explain them. So you can check them out to like follow. Thanks. Yeah, sure, no problem. Yes, so, so I was saying like um, a, a way to think about um, like the equal width thing is that for equal width, I, I don't say equal width anymore. The acronym is equal width, but well, equal width, I, I think it's, it kind of, it, it kind of sounds clearer. But anyway, with equal width, what you are doing is that you, you predetermine the, like you predetermine the boundaries. So you, predetermine how wide um, each bucket is going to be, right? And then you start filling them up. So the height is dynamic, but the width is static, right? With equal height, which is like the opposite, the height becomes static. Now, remember we said like, um, what determines the height is the number of rules that matched, right? So if you are getting equal height, it means what you are doing is that you, Instead of predetermining the size of the bucket, 
you predetermine the number of rows you want to put in a bucket. So let's say you have um, a table with like 1,000 rows, for instance, right? With equal heights, what you are doing is ahead of time, you decide that, okay, um, I want 10 rows to fit in each bucket. And then the width becomes dynamic. So it's like, let's say you, you with your 1,000 rows, you start at the um, first row. And okay, let's use the product table um, example again. You are trying to fit 10, 10 rows between, like you are trying to fit 10 rows in a bucket, right? So you start at price zero and start counting. So um, you go like, how many products has prices at 10 Naira, for instance? And then you discover that there were only two products, right? That is not up to 10. So instead of having a bucket um, zero to 10, because the product that has price between zero to 10, we are not up to the number of rows you want in the bucket. You extend it, like you stretch that bucket. So you stretch it to maybe 20. And then you look at zero to 20, right? You, you look at zero to 20, you, look, you find that maybe there are five products that has like um, prices between zero and 20, which is still not up to the 10 you wanted. So you stretch it again. So with equity height, what you're doing is you have dynamic width, but then you have fixed height. Why this is important is because, you no, know, in the first case of equal height, just by, um, because, because of the fact that you've already like predetermined um, the size of your bucket, it is possible that you have a bucket where no room matched. So you end up with um, empty bucket, which is going to be, by the time the database is doing its computation, it's going to lead to like inefficiency. So you have um, waste of you know, computing power, you have inaccuracies in final results. So the like equi um, height became a thing, like equal height histograms became a thing where you know that once there's a bucket in your histogram, there's definitely going to be a value. The, the only case where that's not true is the last bucket. So it's possible that maybe before you get to the last bucket, you've exhausted all the rows, right? So by the time you get to the last one, maybe it's just one or two rows instead of 10 or zero actually. So you end up like, well, nothing in that bucket. And you know, you can safely ignore that because I mean, it's at the end now and this is actually sorted. So by the time you get to an empty bucket, you know that you've um, exhausted You've exhausted the rules you you had initially. I, I don't know if you are looking at the picture, like the histogram pictures, but if, if you look at them, you're going to notice that with equal width. Sorry, are you seeing something? I could see your. No, no, no I'm listening to you. Oh, okay. Don't worry. So I was saying if you look at those two images, I actually, maybe, maybe I should try to open the tweet too. So. Um, sorry, give me a moment. Yeah, so if you look at the um, equal height histogram, right, you're going to notice that some buckets are smaller and then some are bigger. So what that representation tells us is that when the yeah, so if you look at the um, equal height histogram, right, you're going to notice that some bucket are smaller. Sorry, so we have some echoes. Yeah, so okay. I, I joined the space on my laptop and then <laughs> it started giving me feedback. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, okay. Sorry about cool. that. Yeah, so we um, equal high histograms. You would notice that some buckets are bigger, right? And some, some are smaller. So the Smaller buckets has like bigger density, like they have larger density because you know you are putting the same number of rows in each bucket. So it's like you have like maybe you have five balls to spread across three buckets, and then some of those buckets are bigger and some are smaller. So the smaller buckets are going to be more cramped, like they're going to be more packed because it's smaller and it's taking the same um, amount of value, taking the same amount of rules or amount of votes. So that, that, that's really just what's happening here. Okay, um, Michael, I would like to kind of, um, I guess, reiterate what you're saying, just so that 
you know, I make sure that I'm understanding correctly, and maybe this would um, help other people as well. Okay. So histograms are um, concerned with data distribution, yeah. and you have used images here to explain types of histograms. So you said one is equi-width and one is equi-height, right? And so they're different, how exactly? So you're saying that equi-width, you predetermine how big you want the bucket to be. So for example, if you have a product table with prices, you say that, um, for example, maybe like you have buckets um, of, um, with an absolute like difference of 10. So you have um, all pro counts of products between zero and 10 in one bucket, between zero and 10 in one bucket, between 10 and 20 in another bucket, 20 and 30 and so on and so forth. And so if a product is between zero and 10 Naira, you add it in the zero and 10 buckets, between in the zero to 10 buckets. Yeah, yeah. If the product is between 10 and 20 Naira, you add it between the 10 and 20 buckets and so on and so forth. And one downside of this that you said is it's possible that there is no product, for example, that is between zero and 10. And so that means the zero and 10 buckets would be empty. And having empty buckets like that causes inefficiencies. Um, I'll come back on like a question maybe later on when you're done about like what kind of inefficiencies you mean. But basically you're saying that it's possible to have empty buckets um, because you're predetermining the size of the buckets. And it's possible that there are no like rows that fit um, between those values. Cool. Yeah. So you're now saying that equi height is different. How? So you said that um, you predetermine the number of rows you want in a bucket. So for the product table, you're saying that, for example, in each bucket, you you know that you always want ten products in a bucket. So Going off of like what, what I was saying about the equi with one, where I was saying that it's possible that there are no values between 0 and 10. So if there are no values between 0 and 10, for example, with equi height, what you instead do is now extend, like now check between, not keep checking. So if you, you check, is there anything between 0 and 10? There's nothing there. You keep extending. You now do maybe 0 and 20. And you see if like they're up to um, the predetermined number of rows you want in each bucket. And you basically keep going until um, you get the number of rows you want. So equi height, you predetermine the number of rows you want in each bucket, and you keep extending the boundary until you get to that number of rows. So in this way, the only empty bucket you can possibly have is the bucket at the end. Is that like correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that okay. that's on reality. And um, about your question about inefficiencies, so that like. Because now we are in the context, so maybe just to answer that like straight away, the inefficiencies here are um, storage and computation, right? So storage in the sense that even if the bucket is empty, you still have to store those boundaries, right? And then for computing, even if the buckets are empty, by the time you are trying to like figure things out, you still have to go through, like you still have to account for that, but you still have to, um, take note of the fact that that, bu that bucket is there and you have to like put it into consideration whatever your computer. So if you are searching, if you are sorting or whatever. So it's just there like wasted space really. Um, it, it's not useful for anything because there's nothing in there to look for, but it's still taking the space. So yeah, that's like one of the inefficiencies in, in this case. And cool. yeah, and like it, it can happen like because when you build histograms like that, it could happen that those empty buckets are like, they are not just one. So it could happen that there are lots of them, or it could happen that there are buckets with like very little amount of rules that you could have safely ignored, but because they exist, you now have to consider them too. So yeah, that's, that, that's what the inefficiency is about. Cool, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, back on the topic of histograms now. Um, when you go to like, so most databases actually have like, um, should I say like extended implementations? So they all use um, equi height. So yeah, they all use equi height, but there are like some tweaks to it, like there are some extensions to it. So um, Postgres, for instance, has this thing called most common values. 
So what Postgres is going to do is, if, if it looks at your um, data distribution, it can decide to store like, um, in, instead of building an actual histogram, it's going to take just the values that appeared the most and then their frequencies and store them. So it's kind of like, it's in, in that case, it's not exactly like a histogram again, it's just metadata about your table. But for Postgres, it makes sense and it uses it. I, I don't know much about Postgres in panels, but yeah, it, it does something like that in cases where, um, like in cases where it realizes that too many values has too many frequencies and then others are just like appearing once or twice. Um, I, I think, so yeah, you, you find variations like that in like a couple of other databases, but at its core, like, um, at, at the basics of it, it all boils down to like this idea of storing um, how data is distributed, how how much like what's the frequency of values like, and those kind of um, metadata. And to collect these histograms, right? And I, I think this um, an important point because you know when we are comparing um, histogram statistics, we said like indexes are going to be rebuilt on every write, so on every insert, on every update, on every delete. With histograms, you are not collecting them on every write, which is like the um, should I say advantage. But yeah, it's like a perk or a feature of histograms, right? You don't have to do them every time you write to your database, but they are important, which means at some point you actually have to make that sacrifice to collect them. For histograms, what happens is that they are collected asynchronously, so they try not to affect your actual database. They kind of read from you know your tables the same way that you as a user or your application is reading from that table. That's how the statistics are going to read from your table too to actually build the histograms, um, and they're actually quite slow to build because most of the time, or in most cases, they end up going through like majority of the data in your table or all of them. So they are actually kind of slow, but the way to do them, like there are two ways you could collect histograms. So one way is to collect them manually. Um, yeah, I, I think with MySQL and MariaDB, the syntax is analyzed. So if you look up analyze table statements in MySQL and MariaDB, you're going to find how to like actually collect the statistics. For Postgres, it's also analyzed, but Postgres has this thing where you can collect histograms automatically. So um, if you use PostgreSQL, like at user level, you don't have to know the internals. You've probably encountered something called vacuuming. So what vacuuming is, is that um, at intervals, right? Like uh, uh, periodically, it's going to like collect the statistics. So there is like a configurable threshold for it. So you can tell Postgres that by the time your data, the data in your table has changed by a certain percentage, it should collect the statistics. So let's say you have 1,000 um, 1, rows in your table and the threshold is 10%. So by the time you add, I, I think that's 100 now, 10% of 1,000 is 100. So by the time you add um, 100 new rows to your database, the auto vacuum is going to kick in and then try to collect this data. And like, like I said, it's, it's kind of slow because with MySQL and MariaDB again, there are like two methods to actually collect this histogram. So one option is to actually look through the table. Now, normal statistics, you know that the, the more samples you have, the more accurate your data is going to be, right? So when you scan all your tables, like when you scan all the rows in your table, you are doing what's called a full table scan. Um, what happens is you get more efficient, like you get more accurate data, you get more accurate statistics. But then you are actually going through all your tables, so it's going to be slower, right? But actually, that's what MariaDB does. It does a full table scan. Um, I, I think like there's a feature to add an option for random sampling, but it's not yet out. And now what random sampling is, is that instead of going through all your tables, it's going to pick, sorry, instead of going through all your rows, it's going to pick rows at random, right? And then use those to, um, get insights into what well, into what the rest of the data that I didn't look at was like. Um, Postgres actually supports random sampling, and random sampling is actually considered like the more mature thing to do. 
because by the time you start having like one billion rows, you know, you start having like ten billion rows across, say, across multiple partitions across different clusters. It doesn't really make sense to do like um, full table scans at, at at that scale, and those skills are typical for like database workloads. So you you find them like. <laughs> People have them a lot. They are not rarities. So it, it's something to be considered. Now, very soon, we are going to be talking about how to actually look at those histograms. Well, yeah, we are going to be looking, talking about like how to well, look at them, how to understand them in the context of your SQL queries. But to do that, there are two things that I think are like super important to talk about, and that is cardinality and selectivity. These are like, Canadian selectivity are like, um, what do you call it? They're, they're like terms used by the optimizer statistics, right? And if you've done like set theory or some kind of math, you'd know that cardinality talks about um, the number of distinct elements in a set. So the number of distinct values in a set. If you bring that to like the database context, what that means is, let's say you have um, a well, let, let's say you have um, a user's table, for instance, and then in that user's table, there's like a country column, and you're trying to find the countries you have users in. So you're trying to find um, what countries are my users living in. So you're going to find maybe 10 people from Nigeria, 25 from Ghana, 13 people from Kenya, things like that. But you just want individual countries, right? So when you run like a when you run like a select count distinct, what you get is just three. So it's just Nigeria, Kenya, Ghana. The number of users that had those values doesn't really matter, right? It's just the distinct values, which is three. That three is what we call cardinality, really. So it's like um, the number of <laughs> unique values or the number of distinct values in the column. There's a, there's a slightly different kind of cardinality that comes up when you're doing a join. So when you do like um, select from table, join this, join this, you get what we call a join cardinality. So join cardinality is like you taking like all of these values, all of these rules or elements, whatever, from these different tables and then counting them. Okay, I think you can start start again. Okay, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, we were talking about cardinality and selectivity, and we talked about how cardinality is what you get when you run like a select count distinct from a on, on a column, right? Um, for the database, it doesn't always need cardinality, like it uses it to well make estimates, but there's also something much more important to it, which is called the selectivity. They are actually kind of similar concepts. But selectivity um, kind of gives you an idea about filtering. So let's say you, you have a rare clause in your SQL query, right? You have a rare, let, you, you have a user's table, for instance, and then you are doing um, select all from user where email equal to this. But then you already have a unique constraint on your email column, right? It means you expect that all emails should be unique. So if you pick an email, you expect to find only one row matching that in, the, in your database. What that's saying is that when you run a query with email, like where you are, your where clause has email on it, the selectivity is going to be high. What that means is like it's going to select just one row out of all the um, rules in your table, right? So that's high selectivity. Now compare that with a case where you are selecting based on first name, for instance. So you write um, select from where first name equal to this. It's possible that you have like different people with um, with the same first name. So that selectivity, well, it's going to be a bit high, but it's not going to be as high. Uh, sorry, yeah, it's not going to be as high as that of email, because for email, there was already the constraint of uniqueness. 
And same happens with primary keys. So like with primary keys, you expect complete uniqueness. So generally what selectivity does is that it defines how, how, how well a query is going to exclude rows in your table or it's going to filter out rows. So when, when you have like, um, the thing is selectivity is kind of tricky because um, selectivity and efficiency is kind of, um, it, it, there's like an inverse relationship between them. So when you have a query that is like, that is highly selective, it means the value, like the selective value or the selectivity value is not going to be smaller. So like if you have a query that is picking just one out of 100 rows, right? It means the, the value is going to be, that's like 0.1, sorry, that's like 1%. But then if the query is matching all your rules, that's 100%. In, in reality, you, sorry. In, in reality, you actually don't want a query that is going to match all your rules because when like with, with SQL queries, you want to deal with as little rule as possible. You want to deal with like the minimum amount of rule needed to fetch the results you need, right? So it's like, let's say you have a, um, you have 100% selectivity, right? It means it's going to select everything in your table. If you have the 3%, it means it's going to select one in three. If you have um, 1%, or if you have, so it's kind of like, that's like the relationship. So it's like, as this goes up, this one comes down, right? And like I said, the higher the value, so like the, the closer the value gets to 100%, the less efficient that query gets because the more, um, the more number of rules you have to deal with in, in that case. Um, there are like two kinds of um, selectivity. So there's point selectivity and there's range selectivity. Point selectivity is what you get when you do an equality. So if you are, if you are doing like um, select from product where price equal to 100, for instance, you know, that's, that's direct comparison. That's a straight up equality. So it's a point it's going to go to like a very specific point. And this idea comes from how the histogram is represented. So it's like when you are doing year price equal to 100, for instance, you are going to a specific points on your, hist on your histogram. But when you now have something like where um, price is less than 10 or where price between 10 and 50, that's a range, right? You are considering a range. And by the way, once you also do like where not equal, like not equal, like as in the opposite of sorry, the opposite of equality, the database is going to convert that to a range. So when you are doing um, we are not equal to 10, the database is seeing we are less than 10 and we are greater than 10, sort of. So it's like it's ignoring that in between, that midpoint. So in that case, you still have range selectivity. So all cases that are not um, equality, they become they, they get converted to green selectivity and, and what happens is that when you do a select um let's say you do select from products where price is less than 10 the database is going to force a boundary so the upper bound is 10 now what is the lower bound it fixes it at null or zero so it's like if if your table is like if the column is unsigned so if the column is yeah if like depending on, well, the, um, I, I don't know what they call it, but depending on if it's signed or unsigned. So it's, it's, it's either going to be no, where the database can guarantee that there's no negative value or it's just uses no. And then same thing happens on the upper bound. So if you are selecting um, where greater than 30, for instance, the database is going to assume that at the upper bound, you are putting a no. It needs those boundaries because, you know, the histogram is bounded, right? So it doesn't just go on and on. So it's going to force that boundary somewhere, either um, lower or higher. Now, this all deals with, like, direct comparison, you know, like equal to, less than, greater than. But if you notice or if you work, like, you'd notice that the database actually has some other operators that um, are not comparisons. Like, so, for instance, you have, like, um, like operator, so you do something like select from names, where select from users, where first name like MI, 
and you expect it to fetch uh, Michael, Miranda, anything that has MI in it. The thing is, the database won't be able to use histograms for such cases. So there's like an, another set of statistics um, called sampling. It's like an entire thing on its own. But yeah, it's kind of like, so it's kind of like if it's straight up comparisons like this, then it can use histograms. If it's operators like using like in your queries, then it uses um, sampling. Now, tying all of this together, you know, it's, it, it doesn't really make sense in isolation because if you, are, if you know histograms, you understand them and they are not bringing practical value to your application performance, then it's like, what's the whole point? And there's like a, a demonstration of, you know, how you could actually improve query performances with histograms. So one thing I did was I, I took... Um, hi, Michael. Like, before you go on, I kind of want to clarify something. So you were saying, um, when you were talking about selectivity, you were mm -hmm. saying that if you, if your query matches only one row, so if you filter out, I don't know, every other row, does that, you were saying that, like, matching one row is high selectivity? Yeah, so it means it's highly selective, oh, right? I see. Yeah, so it's highly selective in that it's, like, it's selecting, like, it's filtering out, like, it's throwing out a large number of rules. So it's high, like, it's highly selective, but the value you are going to get, so like the, selecti the selectivity value is going to be right. smaller. Oh, I see, right. So, is, okay, that's what you were saying about inverse relationship? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I get that. Okay, cool. Yeah, thanks. So, um, I, I don't know. Because this demonstration here, so we have like some tables um, like comparisons between what happens when you're using histograms and when you're not using histograms. So there's this like sample database from SQL. I, I think it has like 2 million um, employee records and stuff like that. And the idea is that you want to select, um, I, I think maybe Ayo can help tweet that now. So you could just look at the image to get a sense of what we are trying to talk about. But, but yeah, so what we, what we are trying to do with the um, database, with our sample database is like, we have employee records, right? And what we want to do is we want to select all the managers in that company. So like all the managers in all the departments. Now we, we are using join. So if falling back to what we are saying about the query optimizer, there are kind of two ways to go about it. Now, if you go to a company and you say you want to look at all the managers, like you, you want to see all the managers, one thing you could do is to ask all the employees if they are managers, right? Or <laughs> let, let me think through the analogy I want to give. So you, you want to find managers in each department, right? Like you want to find the manager for each department. One thing you could do is so from the like from the database perspective now, right? One thing it could do is to first of all pick out um, all the all, all the employees, and then filter employees out by their department, and then go to each department and say, okay, who is the manager here? Now that means that you're actually looking through all the two million employees, right? But let's say, for instance, through some magic or in the database in the case of database true statistics we now have a sense of the number of managers in the company so we have like we know that um out of say what do you call it say out of two million employees um there are only like 20 managers for instance and then there's like because in this case those managers like it's kind of indexed so in this case, what we are doing is we are kind of com combining the powers of histograms and indexes now. So what we'll do is we go to the org chart, right? The org chart has like the hierarchy. Remember what we are looking for is manager for each department, right? So we want the department info alongside the titles, not just um, not just their titles. So we can't just um, use the fact that, okay, they are managers. We also need to go back to their departments. Now this is where the histogram supports because what it's going to do is it looks at it and decides that 
if it can, first of all, pick out everybody that are managers before asking them for their department, it only needs to go through like just the 24 people, like the 24 managers it has, as opposed to asking everyone in the department about their title. So you as a user, like you as a human being, you know, like we, we, it doesn't really make sense because I mean, you're already there and you already have a picture of what this is like. So the comparison doesn't really hold. But for the optimizer, it doesn't know, like without, on its own, it doesn't know if you have 20 managers or you have 2 million managers, right? It needs that data, it needs to have that idea of data distribution to now understand what's the ratio of managers to software engineers, for instance, what's the ratio of managers to, um, I don't know, maybe salespeople, for instance. And it's this data distribution that we are talking, like it's where the idea of histograms comes in. So if you look at the demo we, we are talking about, um, what happens is in the first case, we don't have histogram. So we run a select and join. And because the optimizer is assuming that our data is uniformly distributed, what it's going to do is, is that it's going to follow the join order like we specified. So it's looking at, we are doing select from department, um, using department number, join employees, join titles. So the optimizer is going to follow that order. Why? Because it doesn't have any idea at all of what our data looks like. And the, the funny thing in this case is that, in this case, it's actually using an index. It's using an index on departments, but it's not so helpful because by the time we find the departments, there are nine departments, there are about 20K, um, 20,000 employees in each department. So being um, like being efficient on the department part doesn't really help us because that's not where the bulk of the work is happening. The bulk of the work is happening at the titles and where we are trying to get managers, right? Um, by the time we collect histograms, what is going to happen is that suddenly the optimizer knows that they are only, like it knows that there's a, very few amount of people that are managers. So it estimates that out of um, 400,000 rules in the titles, um, sorry, out of 400,000 rules in the titles table, they're only like, only like 0.15, that's like 0.15% are actually managers. That's compared to looking through 2 million. So if you take 0.15% um, of 400,000, it's like 60 something. Now in actual sense, there are like 24 managers in this, like in this organization, but the database is, is estimating 15%, which I think is around 60 something, which is still better than looking through all 2 million, if, if you ask me. Now, remember that what the optimizer is doing is just an estimate. So by the time you collect like the, the how, how do I say, the more, the more granular your, your histogram is, the more accurate the statistics, the, it's, the query plan it gives out is going to be. But in this case, it's not like so accurate, but then drastically, it's already better than what we had initially. So by the time we collect histograms, we, the optimizer is going to rearrange the join order. So instead of starting from departments, it starts from titles. Remember in our um, query, in our select query, the last part of the query was, we, we are trying to find people with title equal to manager. So now the optimizer understands that if it starts at that point, because there are fewer number of managers, if it starts at that point, it's going to filter out a lot of employees already. So it works with that. And it knows that because it has the data, right? So it, it works with that and start working backwards. So by the time we had done, in the first case without histogram, it was taking around like one point something seconds. We apply histograms to get like 0 0.08 seconds. That's like 91% um, increase in efficiency without necessarily using, because for this database, um, the primary keys are multi-column. So you have like multi-column primary keys. So they don't really help us in this case. The multi-column primary keys on title, I think was employee number, title, and one other column, I can't quite remember. But yeah, basically the idea is, when you, are, like, when you create an index on your table, you need to think about how that index is going to affect the query you are executing. So you have two tables, you know that, okay, your primary key should have an, in, your, your primary key is automatically an index 
fine. But then, what about all of these other queries you are running? Probably for reports, you know, probably periodic queries and all of that. That you don't really see how the index are going to affect um, performance in this case yet. And if you if you choose to throw index at them blindly, like you just you know throw it at them and hope that the database gods work in your favor, then it starts having those effects of indexes you mentioned earlier, right? You know, like you start suffering from um, from right performance issues. You start having world bloat. So Postgres has been called world bloat um, because of how it writes data. I, I don't think it makes sense for us to go into that now. But yeah, it's part of the things that happens when you know you are constantly updating your tables and constantly updating your indexes. So these are the issues, right? And with histograms, what you are getting is, well, not exact estimates, but way more efficient, way more performance than what you'd be getting like, without them. Um, with MariaDB, there's, if you are trying to like, you know, see the differences, like trying to test out what happens, okay, if I collect statistics, what happens? If I don't have statistics, what happens? MariaDB has like a session variable that you could toggle um, so it's called use start table. You can set it to never, and it will never use your statistics. It's just going to do what you tell it to do. Um, well, there are actually like lots. Well, there's still some parts that it could be fun to go into IO. But cool. yeah. no, um, I mean, I think that um, I've added the notes as a pin, but like we've we've kind of spent an hour now, so I think. <laughs> We can actually like wrap it up there. Um, well, like I mean, open the floor for questions actually before we go. Um, but yeah, yeah thanks sure. for thanks for the um, I guess intro into histograms and how they're useful. Um, I mean, does anyone have questions? If you have questions, please um, um, request. Um, I mean, while we're waiting for people, I mean, if anyone kind of has questions, my own question is like, how can I use like, like in knowledge of histograms in like my day to day as an engineer, right? So, I mean, I would write SQL queries. Um, I would use like SQL queries in my backend code, you know, expose some APIs, so on and so forth. So like, how does the knowledge of histograms help me in my day to day work? Okay, yeah, well, I, I like that because I was supposed to talk about that, but then for some reason I skipped it. Now, um, okay. if you're working with databases, right, you you don't really notice this, this slow query. Like, you don't really notice how long queries are taking until they start affecting you. So if a query is taking, um, like, basically, you don't, you don't care about how long your query is taking until they start being slow. Like, you start feeling that they are slow, right? Now, the way to understand, like when, when you notice a slow query, like when you feel like a query is slow, because what is slow for you might not be slow for me. When you feel like a query is too slow for you, the first thing you're supposed to do is to go and look at the explain plan. So what the explain is, is the query plan. Remember we talked about query optimizers. The, all of the maths and the computation that the query optimizer is doing is going to result in a query plan. The query plan is basically what the database is going to do in order to return your results. Now, when you feel like the query is slow, you go and run. So if you are doing select all from products, say ID call to one, for instance, and you feel like it's too slow, you go to your database and then you add an explain behind that select. That, that's just the only thing you have to do, right? So if you look at the notes we shared, that's what we did. So when you, when you add that explain, you're going to get your query plan. The query plan tells you um, the join orders, how many rows have been filtered out, does the selectivity, the cardinality, and these are all based on the histograms that the database collected, right? So now if you look at it and you realize that, so um, explaining, <laughs> I, I don't know, explaining, explain is going to, that, you know, th that sounds funny, but yeah, explaining, explain is like another thing. But we'll probably share like the links to the docs. But the general idea is this. When you run and explain, there are things to look out for, right? You, for, the first thing to look out for is, is the 
query actually using your indexes? Is it minimizing the number of rows it has? Now, when you look at those things, you know, you own the data, so you try to get a sense of if it makes sense or not. Um, there, there's a very important column in the explain called type. So when you look at, like, basically, those kind of give you now an idea of if the query should be optimized or not. That optimization part is where your histograms come in. Because truth is, you as like a day-to-day -day developer, you're not going to be interacting with histograms directly, right? You're going to be interacting with the effects of the histogram on your queries. So when you feel like a query is slow, you run your explain, you see the output, then try to collect the histograms and then rerun the same explain. Look at the output, is it any better? Um, if, it, if it feels better, then fine, you can stop your optimizations at that point. If you feel like it can be better, you can squeeze the, um, the, the size of bucket. So I, I think basically squeezing it means that maybe for instance, if initially we are doing like random sampling, so you're looking at just 80% um, of your data, you can extend that to 85 or 90 and see the difference it makes. So it's like, like I said, his knowledge of histograms itself, what it's really just helping you do is, it's giving you like a mental model of understanding why your database is, well, taking the time it's taking. Right. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. Um, does anyone have any other questions? Um, anything you want to clarify? Any you know, question you want to ask? Kind of leave like a few seconds for that. Okay. okay. Looks like no one has questions. Um, <laughs> perfectly understood. <laughs> which is good, right? Um, but yeah, this is great, seriously. Um, thanks, Michael, for like coming up to talk about this. Um, it was I thought it was really important when we spoke about it initially. And you know, thanks for going into more detail here. Um, and yeah, like you know, I've learned something new, so I appreciate. Oh yeah, there's a question. Cool. Um, bio. Cool. Hey, Ayo. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Michael, yeah, thanks. Um, <clears throat> sorry, you, you're making a statement. I don't know if, you, if you're done, actually. Ayo. No, no, I'm done. I'm done. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, so I wasn't actually joining. I wasn't requesting to ask a question. I was just, um, yeah, like my phone died. I didn't know my battery was low, so. Um, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, that's fine. Someone else, um, I might. Requested. I don't know if you have yeah, a question. Yeah, I, I do have a question. Can you guys see him? Yeah. Okay, right. uh, so my question is, I kind of joined a bit late. So I don't know if you give any resources. Maybe if you want to learn more about this concept and like go deeper in it. So that's what I want to ask about, like resources. To um, I tweeted like, if you look at pin, the pin tweets, I tweeted like uh, some notes from michael so he made like a a document detailing basically like detailing what he was going to talk about in this talk and in that document there also links to other like articles um and like some code as well so i think you can check that out okay. um i also kind of did some googling earlier this week and oracle has like an interesting introduction into histograms as well, if you want to check that out. All right, um, thanks. Cool, you're welcome. So, um, any other person going one, going two? Mm, okay, I guess not. So thanks, Michael. Um, thanks for coming up again. Um, yeah, thanks everyone for joining. Have a nice evening. Yeah, it was it was absolutely my pleasure too. So
right. Thank you. Yeah.